Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast on the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. So first off, thank you for being here. If you haven't already, subscribed to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. Make sure you do that now so you never miss any of the content our team at IC puts out. It hardly takes any time, and it helps us out a lot. Also, speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why on this podcast, I have to remind everybody about Jimmy's Famous Seafood. The reason they wanted to sponsor this podcast is simple. They're owned by UNC fans. With the pandemic and indoor dining restricted, it's currently a tough time to be a locally owned business. So it's helping out one of our own, and at the same time, you get ridiculously good seafood at a great price, a true win-win. For everybody wondering, my go-to order is the famous gift box where you get two massive crab cakes, two different kinds of crab soup, and then a half pint of crab dip. Visit them online at jimmysfamousseafood.com and at checkout, use the code hashtag GDTBATH for free two-day shipping. That's promo code hashtag GDTBATH. As always, I'm joined by my guy and Carolina basketball legend from the Oklahoma City Thunder, Justin Jackson. Justin, before we get to the inevitable, just how are you doing? <laughs> I'm great, man. I think a lot better than some people are doing. Uh, but I'm great, man. Just, you know, trying to finish out this season that we have until All-Star break and um, then hopefully get a little bit of a rest. But I'm doing really well. After last night, I can sense that this can be a uh, depressing podcast for the Carolina fans. So, just tell me something good. What's a positive in the life of Justin Jackson right now? Hey, man, look, there's always something you can find positive. Last night's game was whew, was rough, 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 rough for the Tar Heel Nation. But um, you can always find something positive. Well, you know, it's just a matter of looking for it, I guess. The weather's getting warm. That's, that's what my go-to is. <laughs> get outside, play some golf. But getting to it. I was all ready to get on here today and talk with you about a pair of UNC wins where Carolina dominates Louisville over the weekend in probably their best performance of the season. And then all they have to do is just get past a Marquette team that had lost six of eight coming in. They were at home where they're nearly a double digit favorite. Instead, Carolina gets run out of the gym, losing 83 to 70 in a game which Marquette led for 37 minutes. So my first question, Justin, is what happened? Man, honestly, from from watching, um, it looked like Marquette just came in and they really just wanted the game more from the jump. You know, like it was almost like North Carolina went into it almost as if like, you know, oh, we have these guys coming in because we need a game. We're going to be able just to walk through it. You know, I mean, kind of like the Northeastern game, you know, like Northeastern, obviously nothing against Northeastern, but Northeastern compared to a Marquette, like those are two different level of teams, you know? And I feel like they walked into the game against Marquette, kind of how they did against Northeastern. Like, okay, you know, this is like a tune up, you know, it's an extra game so we can stay ready or whatever. And Marquette came out and really gave it to them. So I just don't think they walked into the game with the right mindset and Marquette came in with the right mindset. Before the game, the narrative kind of like you were mentioning, was basically this was a scheduled game so UNC could rack up another win for its tournament profile, and Marquette was the team that was just kind of happy to be there. How much do you think that actually helped Marquette to where they could play the no-one-believes-in-you card and they could come out free playing with essentially nothing to lose? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it, it kind of goes two ways. Like any team that plays against a North Carolina, right, like a blue blood, you know, North Carolina is always looked at as one of the premier schools, right? Like any team that comes in there, there's a huge target automatically put onto North Carolina. You know what I mean? So it's like, especially a team that doesn't play North Carolina on a regular basis, it's like, oh, this is my chance, right? We're going into the Dean Dome, playing against a North Carolina team who, like, people are saying, you know, off of the Louisville game, you know, they've worked their way into the tournament. Like, all right, like, I'm, I'm about to go out here and just give it all. You know, and like you said, like, Marquette really didn't have anything to lose. Um, and so it definitely helps from that standpoint. Like, all right, I'm just going to go out. If we lose, then – you know, there's really nothing to it. But, like, if we go out there and we win, like, then all of a sudden, you know, it puts North Carolina in a tough spot, and then we can, like, have some momentum to finish out the rest of the season. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a, it's a tough situation in general, having to schedule a team on kind of a short notice. You don't see them very often. You don't play them ever, really. Um, and then going into the game, you know, it's it's a tough situation. But they just – I just don't feel like they came out with the right energy for a team that, like you said, came out with like really nothing to lose. You don't have to look too much further than the starting lineups for both the, for this game where Marquette starters outscored Carolina 70 to 33 Carolina's starting backcourt. They shoot three of 19 for 15%, two of 10 from three Marquette did a really great job defending Kerwin Walton where they were contesting his shots and they were running him off the three point line. If you were a coach, going up against North Carolina is slowing Kerwin down the key for how you defend this Carolina team? Um, you know, I think it is, uh, you know, when you watch North Carolina this season, when they've been at their best, Kerwin has been, you know, one of the main guys, you know, when it comes to hitting shots and making plays or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, it is tougher because I think Kerwin came in with you know, nobody really knew who Kerwin was, you know, to start out the season. And so he was able to kind of fly under the radar, fly under the radar. And now as time goes on, like he's going to be higher on the scouting report. You know what I mean? So it's like now, okay, for him personally, it's like, okay, I got to find other ways like to really make an impact. You know what I mean? Whether that means I have to, you know, be a screener so that I can get open or do something for somebody else so that I can get open or whatever it is. But then also as a team, it's like they need that shooting. You know, Kerwin is one of the only guys that's really shown to be like a legit knockdown shooter for them. And so, like, as a team, they need him to be able to be open and get open and hit shots and stuff like that. And so, you know, as teams start to focus in, because all it's going to do is as the ACC play kind of finishes up and tournament play starts or whatever, like more and more teams are going to focus on that. You know, more and more teams are going to say, hey, we got to make sure that Kerwin Walton doesn't get just free looks, you know, that make sure like Marquette was doing yesterday, like make sure that we, everything he shoots is contested or make sure that he just doesn't get free very often. Um, and so it's up to the rest of the team to try to find ways to get him open and also use that like to their advantage as well. You know, whether it's using him in screens or, or just, you know, because they're going to be hugged up to him running some sort of action to where, you know, they can get free, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's just a matter of learning as the time goes on, but they got to, they got to figure something out when it comes to shooting, man. Yeah. That's my worry for this team that Wojo and Marquette kind of just set the blueprint for how you basically make this Carolina offense, not be able to play up to their potential. And I thought they did a really good job executing their game plan and Marquette might not be 
this great team, but anybody who watches college basketball and then specifically the Big East, you know you have to bring it every night. And let's also not forget Marquette came into this game with two wins better than anything UNC has beating both Wisconsin and Creighton. They were battle tested. They executed their game plan to perfection, getting in the paint for easy threes. They shoot nine of 27 from three, right around 40%. We're at the point where we know the defensive game plan isn't changing for Carolina, where Carolina overhelps on the drive. So how do you counter that as a defense? Is it playing better on ball defense and staying in front of your man? Is, is it that simple? I mean, I think, yeah, yes and no. You know, like, it, it is that simple from the standpoint of, like, that is what they have to do, you know. But it's obviously – it is difficult to play one-on-one defense at the same time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you look at – you look at – I mean, the defense has been the exact same for however many years Coach has been at UNC. You know what I'm saying? The whole time we were there, the whole time – I mean, freaking they won all the other championships, you know, while Coach has been there. Um, I think the first part where it starts is on ball. You know, like, like you look at yesterday's game, I mean, they were blowing past guys. And so, like, if you don't have any kind of resistance, the guys get so much deeper into the paint, which forces guys to run all the way into the paint to help, you know, especially with how, you know, coaches' defensive, you know, mindset is. Like, we're going to protect paint. Um, and so then you look at how guys were just literally wide open. You know, I saw, like, a couple clips in there where it was, like, all five guys – from North Carolina were in the paint defensively and they had four guys on the perimeter wide open. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, if there's one-on-one defense, if, you know, guys, are, guys are going to get past guys are good players. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not going to be able to just keep everybody in front of you, but if it's a straight line every time to the rim, like it's going to cause even, like it's going to make the help look even crazier because they get so deep in the paint. And so I think that's where it starts I think a part of it is too, like, I think something that like the teams that I was on did a really good job of was, yeah, we helped, but at the same time, you have massive bigs back there. You know what I mean? So it's like also being smart from the standpoint of, okay, if I'm on, if I'm in the corner, right, like I'm supposed to be in help, but at the same time, you've got a seven footer, a 6'10", 6'11", like sitting down there on the block. You know, so it's like, okay, you can kind of be smart at the same time of being like, okay, if that guy gets past him, okay, we're going to let Walker Kessler go up and meet him at the rim. We're going to let Garrison step over and try to really meet him instead of me running all the way into the paint and really not even really doing anything because by the time I get into the paint, they're just going to kick it out to my guy, you know? So I think it, it sounds really simple, but with the way that North Carolina plays defense, I think it's a matter of them just really focusing in on like, okay, yeah, we have to make sure that defensively, like one-on-one, we got to try to keep our man in front of us as much as possible and then kind of let everything else fall, you know? Yeah. The problem isn't so much the, the quantity of threes other teams are getting, but the quality where every three is just a wide open uncontested look. And in Carolina's eight losses this season, UNC's opponents are averaging 9.9 made three pointers while shooting 42.5% from three. So if, if you're getting that quality of looks, obviously they're going to go in. And when you're getting about 30 points per game from those losses, just off the three, you're putting yourself at a a huge disadvantage. And 
when Carolina was trying to make its comeback, I thought the full court pressing and the trapping helped Carolina a bit yesterday, trying to speed up Marquette and force them into bad situations. But the problem with that is, I guess, better teams are going to be able to pick that apart. What do you see in terms of pros and cons with the trapping that Carolina implements on defense? Um, I, I think the trapping is good whenever it's, you know, it catches teams off guard, you know, when it, when it's a set defense and, um, you know, when it's a set defense and maybe they're like passing the ball in on the other end and they're walking up the court, I think that's whenever it gets a little, you know, it can make it a whole lot more difficult defensively because then guys see it coming. They're able just to make an easy pass to completely break the whole trap up. And then you're just flying around, right? Like you're just trying to recover and you're kind of at the mercy of their offense. Um, but I mean, I think, especially with a team that is struggling defensively, you know, like yesterday was really struggling to keep the ball in front of them. I think it is a good change up to kind of try to speed up a team, you know, to, to make them, maybe they don't turn the ball over, but to just make them feel uncomfortable a little bit. Um, so I think it is a good idea. I think it's tough, like I said, whenever, you know, when they're able just to see the trap coming and then they're able to make whatever decision they want to make, you know, before anything really happens. I think that is a little more difficult. But like I said, with a team like this, with a team that at times struggles defensively, I mean, I think it's good to try to mix it up and try to speed the other team up a little bit. I think to a certain extent, you can live with losses where you play up to your potential and the other team is just better than you. But Roy mentioned in his post-game press conference that he was worried before the game because of the practice leading up to the game and the team's overall attitude. How concerning is that to hear where a team that's on the bubble fighting for its postseason life is having these attention to detail issues 22 games now into the season? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what's so hard about a win of 45 points, right? You really start to feel yourself. You know what I mean? Like, like my junior year, we won 50 against NC State and then 25 against them at the same time. You know what I'm saying? So, like, after that game that we won by 50, it's really easy to, like, fall into, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, we're nice. You know what I mean? Like, we're good. Like, we don't got to pay attention to all the details, like coach talks about in practice and all this sort of stuff. And you kind of walk through the motions of things, you know. And so, like, with a team, like, obviously, they, they whooped Louisville by 45. And then they probably went into the next practice or whenever and was kind of, you know, like I said, going through the motions, you know, and I'm sure coach saw that and coach has seen enough basketball and, and enough of his teams to know like, okay, like these guys aren't really paying attention to the things that we're talking about, you know, and I'm sure that's just kind of how they were. And the unfortunate thing is they had that mindset going into a game against a team that had a mindset of like, okay, we're going in here, like you said, with the minds, with the, you know, the game plan that we have and we're going to try to perfect it against this team, you know, and they're going to do whatever they need to do to try to do that. And when you do, when you walk into a game kind of, you know, half asleep against a team like that, they can really put it on you. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's, it's worrying because I think maybe this game kind of woke them up a little bit, hopefully, you know, from the standpoint of like, dang, like we can't for one, like us as a team, we're not, we're not the most talented team in the country to just be able to walk out there on the court and be half asleep in the first half. And then the second half, like 
we just run out, you know, we just run the other team out the gym. You know what I mean? Like they are very talented, but at the same time, like they have to walk into a game from start to finish and go out there and play hard, play with energy, use that talent combined with everything else that they're supposed to be doing to win games, you know? So hopefully, you know, hopefully it kind of woke them up a little bit, you know, thankfully, like, like you said, it doesn't go on, you know, the conference record, um, but, you know, at the end of the day, they're trying to make it to the, the NCAA tournament. And so each game is starting to really matter even more. So hopefully, you know, this kind of woke them up a little bit and they can go on to the next one and hopefully change a few things. Yeah, it's it's for me when I'm looking at this team, like I un- understand that it's hard to bring it every game. Like I think back to the national championship year where you guys lost to Georgia Tech to open up to ACC play. But I think the biggest difference, like you kind of mentioned, it's this Carolina team has struggled and it's to the point where they have to realize by now they have to come prepared every mm-hmm. game by the start of every game because when when you're trailing for 37 minutes and you're trying to play from behind, like Carolina almost got to that point, but they couldn't get over the hump yesterday where if a couple of players make a couple of shots, you know, maybe the, it flips the entire game. But they, they have to come out better and they have to come out better prepared. And I thought the, the other concerning part from Roy's press conference, it was it was press conference filled of uh, a lot of a lot of depressing notes from him. But he was saying that he called a set and then the team went out and ran something completely different. <laughs> How do you begin to even make sense of what's happening there and what Roy's reaction probably was on the sideline? Yeah, I mean, any basketball coach, when they draw something up for you on the sideline, if you don't, if whether it's one person or the whole team, if you go out there and mess it up, that's like one of the most, I think that's one of the things in, within the whole game that will piss the coach off the most is if you go out there and mess up the play, right? It's one thing for you to go out there and you did the play and then maybe coach says run it again but you see something else. And so you run another play, right? But the first play out when coach draws something up and you don't run it, that, that, especially with coach, that will send coach into a frenzy. And so, um, you know, I think uh, to be honest, I think that just, that's fitting for kind of what was going on within the game. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like they weren't, they weren't locked into what they were supposed to be doing against Marquette. You know, and so if they are not locked into that, which they probably have been talking about the the day or two prior to the game, then how are they going to be able to lock into a play that coach just drew up on the on the board? You know, but it's kind of funny sitting on the outside because I have been a part of a, you know, I've been a part of a huddle and then a part of like somebody going out there and messing up a play. And it's like, oof, like coach is not happy, you know, but. I mean, like you said, like they have to realize that they need to lock in and focus for 40 minutes, you know, and if they lock in for 40 minutes, they've shown that they can be a really good team, you know, and that's what's so like, that's why whenever they play really good, why you're so encouraged. Cause it's like, dang, like when they come out and play for 40 minutes, they could really like, they can make a little bit of a run, you know what I mean? Like they could really beat some teams, but then whenever they don't come out for 40 minutes and they come out lackadaisical or they come out and they're not paying attention to all the details, and they get beat like this against them, like like losing by thirteen doesn't seem that bad, but the way that the game was the whole entire forty minutes, like they dominated them. And so 
seeing that it's like, man, like they really have to come out for the entire game. Um, and so, like I said, hopefully this is another learning lesson, you know, like, okay, from here on out from the jump for one, we got to pay attention to what coach is saying in practice leading up to the games. But once we get into a game, we really have to lock in. Um, and I, I, you know, I think they will. I think at the end of the day, it's still a very young team as well, you know, and I think we can't really take that for granted either. Like, you know, being a freshman out there and being relied upon for them, they also have to learn a lot quicker than, you know, most freshmen would have to learn, you know? Um, so it's a learning experience. Hopefully they can learn from it and they can move on. When you hear things like the players are out there running different sets or Roy in the postgame press conference saying the other team wanted it more and, they were out there hustling more. Does that still put fear in your heart for the guys in that locker room? Hey, I think um, I'm sure they're going to have a very long film session, a very long film session. Um, I'm sure next practice is not going to be the most chill practice, I'll say. Um, I'm sure it won't be the most funny and enjoyable practice. Uh, and I'm sure up until the game, it's going to be a very serious time, you know, like when you win, you can sometimes go into practice, you know, you can laugh, you can joke during practice, have some fun. But when you have a bad loss, like up until that next game, there's, it's no funny business, you know? So, you know, I'm sure the coaches will get them right. I'm sure uh, there'll be a lot of conversations, a lot of talks. Uh, and then hopefully they can just get their mind right um, to, to go into the next game and, you know, get this bad taste out of their mouth and, and move on. You met, That leads perfectly to the next question I wanted to ask, because you had mentioned about learning from an, a game like this. And in your experience as a player, how do you balance learning from a game like this where you played so poorly and also just wanting to go back out there as soon as possible, like you mentioned, and get that bad taste out of your mouth? Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's kind of a fine balance. You know, like you had mentioned earlier, the Georgia Tech game, right? Like, that was probably our worst game that year. Um, and so from the standpoint of learning from it, like obviously individually you can kind of learn like what you need to do better, but like learning from it kind of means like, okay, what was it that really messed us up, you know, the most in that game, you know? So like this game, it was like, okay, against Marquette, you know, we didn't pay attention to the details as much as we need to. We didn't come out from the jump with the energy we needed to they came out and they wanted it a little bit more than we wanted it. So, so it goes back to kind of the competitiveness, right? So like you can learn from that and realize, okay, we have to come with that from the jump, but then there's also a balance of, okay, you don't want to necessarily just sit on it and, you know, you don't want to just keep on thinking about this game. You know what I mean? Like you want to learn from that, but then you want to try to just keep implementing it every single day, the things that you need to do better. And uh, the good thing about basketball, man, is, you know, you have another game, you know, so whenever that next game might be, you have another one to be able to go out there. And so for me, like I, anytime I have a bad game, it's like, you're just so ready to get it out by going and playing again. Um, and so I think they need to use that kind of hunger to get the bad taste out of their mouth to lead into the next game. And if they can do that, you know, that's kind of the balance that, that they need as far as learning from the game before and, and going, moving on to the next one. So I think that's kind of the balance that I've always used and I think, you know, is pretty useful. 
continuing with the trend of issues for this Carolina team, I think last night also highlighted that this Carolina team doesn't really have someone on the roster who can create offense for others with 19 total turnovers for the team. And moving forward, looking at just this season, how problematic is it that for this team, Caleb Love and RJ Davis are both players who are always going to be more comfortable getting theirs than being the the table setter, a guy like like a Nate Britt or like a Kendall Marshall is for a Carolina offense? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like I said before, it's tough because you're talking about two freshman guards, you know, and you're talking about two freshman guards who in high school, they were the, you know, they were the guys that went out and had 30, you know, every single night. And, you know, the fact that you have to throw them right into the fire in kind of an unprecedented type season um, you know, it's a matter like they're still processing when and when they shouldn't be attacking, you know what I'm saying? And when they should, um, you know, be trying to set things up for others. A guy like Kendall, I mean, his first mindset was trying to get other people involved, you know, a guy like Nate, like, I mean, he was seasoned, you know what I'm saying? Like by the time we won it, he was a senior, you know? So it was like, he knew, okay, you know, these are the times, these are the plays I need to be running this is when I can't attack, you know what I mean? So like he already kind of knew like the, the formula for it, you know, for them, it like, they're still trying to, they're still trying to learn it, you know? And so it's, it's, it's hard to just put it on them. Like, okay, y'all need to be, you know, trying to get other people involved. Y'all need to get them the ball when they need to get it and all this sort of stuff. I think when they've been most comfortable, um, you know, I think a lot of times I look, I look on the court and, they look like they're thinking too much, you know what I mean? Which, which I have fallen into that plenty of times in my career, but when they look the most comfortable is whenever they're just playing freely, you know? And like, you look in the Duke game, like Caleb was just really just out there playing. Like there was no second thoughts of, Oh, should I attack here? Or should I shoot here? Or should I just move it here? Like it was just going out there and playing. Um, and so I think it's, it's, it's tough because it is a matter of time of them getting more and more comfortable, but at the same time, time really isn't on their side when it comes to this season. So, you know, hopefully they can just kind of pick and choose, you know, you've got those big fellas down there. We all, we've talked about all year. Um, and then you guys, you got guys like Kerwin who can shoot it guys, you know, other guys that can really create for you and, and can do some really good things for you. So it's just a matter of them learning a little bit quicker than usual when they can attack, when they should move it, when they should get other people involved. Um, and so it's, it's, it's easy for us to sit here and say, like, they need to do this now. But it's also very tough, the fact that they're young, young guards, you know. So hopefully they can kind of learn quicker than most guys. But I think, I think they'll be okay. You know, I think it is tough with a game like this because you can look at all of the negative things, right? Like, you can look at everything bad and be like, oh, my goodness, this, is, this isn't good. You know, but it's like, okay, let's chip away. You know what I'm saying? Let's find the things that we need to get better at. Let's let's try to get better at those each and every day in practice so that when we get in the game, we can just go out there and compete, do the things that we've been doing every, each and every day. And I think that's all they can really do, man. Yeah, and with the young guards, I think it's also a case where a lot of the fans that put certain players on pedestals, like guys like Joel Berry and Marcus Page, like if you put them – in this situation as true freshmen with this current team and kind of just the overall lack of spacing you're getting with two bigs and uh, no real outside perimeter players um, 
that could shoot the ball, except for Kerwin Walton. There's not too many players that can just step into this situation and and be this all-American type player. And you're going to have the growing pains that come with the freshman point guards. But it's also a case, like you mentioned, like this this team is running out of time to prove that it is a tournament team. So I kind of see both things, both sides in that argument. And as bad as last night was, I think this game was a great microcosm for everything that Carolina has struggled with and why they're 28 and 27 over the past two years. And another thing that seems to be a problem from the outside looking in is I don't really know where this team turns to leadership on the court. Um, Just watching them from time to time, it doesn't seem like they have that alpha type of presence where your sophomore year, you had Marcus, you had Bryce, your junior year, you had six rotational guys back from a team that played in a national championship. You even look at teams later on where you have guys like a a senior Kenny, a senior Luke May, a senior Cam Johnson. How important is that to the makeup of a team where you have that strong locker room type leaders that you can turn, you can turn to when you face adversity. So it's not always coming from the coaching staff. Yeah. I mean, that's super important, you know, which is why it's so tough, um, you know, to go back to kind of what you were saying, like for all the fans out there, right. Like, Fans believe that, okay, Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, all these McDonald's All-Americans, they should come in and average 20 off rip, right? Like 20, 10, five assists, right? Like they should be number one picks from the jump that they put a North Carolina jersey on. I think a lot of times what helps young guys like that is the leadership. You know what I mean? Like like you said, like when I came into, when I came into North Carolina – I had Marcus, I had Bryce, I had Joel James. I had even, even the younger guys like Kennedy, Nate, like even those guys had, had played a decent amount of time the year before, you know? So it's like when you go into a game, you know who the leaders are, right? With this team, and I love Garrison, right? Like I think Garrison is a great player. I think he does a whole lot for the team. But like Garrison has to be that guy that keeps the pieces together. You know what I mean? Like when a game starts going kind of haywire, like he has to be the guy to be able to bring everybody together and be like, hey, guys, like we're good. They made a run. Let's go make ours. You know what I mean? Like let's get back to who we are. Like he has to be that guy to be able to hold. Because at the end of the day, right, and coaches, all coaches out there aren't going to like this. But at the end of the day, the players are the ones that are on the court, right? The players are the ones that are having to deal with, okay, the team changing up a defense all of a sudden or the team playing a certain way than what maybe the scouting report looked like. And so as a team, the players have to be able to be like, okay, look, like I get what coach is saying. I get what he's saying we should be doing, but this is what we see and this is what we need to do. And so thankfully for me, the years that I was there in North Carolina, I had all, all sorts of guys that were able to do that with this team. Like you said, it looks as if the team is just fully relying on what the coaches are saying from the sideline, you know, and although the coaching staff there is the best in my mind, the best coach coaching staff that I've ever been a part of, right. They're still not on the court, you know, and they're still not seeing the things that the players see. And so somebody, whether it is a freshman, whether it is somebody who hasn't played much at all has to be able to come in and be able to pull the guys together and get kind of the wheels back on the road. You know what I'm saying? Like, and if they, you know, if they can find somebody to do that, one or two guys, you know, to be able to do that, 
I think their game will take a whole nother step because then it's like, okay, we're out here and we're going to battle for each other. You know what I'm saying? We're listening to coach, we're running things coach wants to run. But when times kind of get tough, we know we're here and we know this guy here is going to hold all of us together, you know, and it is tough with such a young team, with a team that, you know, I'm sure get along. I'm sure everybody loves being around each other um, and hanging out off the court and all that sort of stuff. But there has to be somebody to, and not even somebody that's like, you know, that, that guy that's like always going to be loud and getting on, you know, getting on somebody, you know what I mean? But like that person that everybody respects, everybody listens to that can step in when times get tough and really get everybody back together, you know? And, so somebody has to step up from that standpoint because I'm right there with you from the standpoint of looking and seeing like it just doesn't really look like they have that. You know, it just looks like when when they get hit in the mouth, like it just kind of keeps going. You know, it's not like they get hit in the mouth and they, all right, let's get back up. Let's get let, let's go again. You know, like it's just kind of like it just kind of keeps on going downhill, you know, so hopefully they can find somebody that does that. Great points. And, you know, a timeout's not coming, so. Somebody has got to be <laughs> no timeout. It's, and that's why I say it's got to be somebody on the court. Cause if, if you know, coach isn't going to call a timeout after they go on eight Oh run, you got to have somebody to be like, Hey, we need to run this play. We need to do this to try to get some sort of momentum back. Um, but that's, that's a great point, man. That's all we got for this week. Shout out to everybody who got through this episode. We're all in this one together. Up next for Carolina, a home game on Saturday against the number one team in the conference, FSU. And then on Monday, it's my birthday. Happy birthday to me. Carolina takes on Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. We'll be back next week to break down those games. Justin, always good talking to you. And a reminder, you still have time to uh, get my present in the mail. (laughs) Man, I'm not getting you anything, man. (laughs) All right, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.